Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hello, faithful podcast listeners. Pastor Adam here. Hey, we wanted to just give you this uh, quick announcement. First of all, I want to say how much we love you and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast on the Potter's House Church here in Virginia Beach. And just wanted to give you a heads up. We're making some changes to this podcast uh, that's going to benefit you and also our ministry here in the Potter's House Church. So just to inform you, we've switched our podcasting host. It's a service called Anchor, and that has allowed us to uh, receive and generate some income through the placement of a couple of advertisements during our podcast. So we just wanted to inform you of this change because going forward, you are going to hear one or two 30-second ads during each podcast uh, sermon. So um, as a result of that small inconvenience on your part, it means that our church can monetize these podcasts and also that means that we can receive some financial support so that we can continue the work of winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. So we just wanted to say thank you again for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing these messages. And thank you for your patience as we make this helpful change. We hope you have a great day. God bless. These first three chapters, if you've been part of any of these services, you know that these are letters uh, to the seven churches that were around, seven of the major churches that were around uh, in uh, first century uh, Asia Minor. And uh, Jesus is the one writing these letters. And as we just, to look back a little bit, if you look back to the different letters that were written by Jesus to these churches, uh, first, we saw the church of Ephesus, which was a careless church, a church that was large and active and working, had been around for a long time and yet faced a rebuke from the Lord Jesus. Oftentimes, we look at large and healthy, active churches, but often they're not as healthy as they look. How many know that? Because what can happen is people and churches can lose their passion and lose their love for the things of God over time. I know it never happens in this church, of course, but over time we can lose our passion for the things of God. We learned from the letter that Jesus wrote to that church. In Smyrna, the second church, it was a crushed church. They had experienced uh, crushing persecution, but Jesus uh, did not have any negative words to speak to this church. He 
said that they were crowned with glory. We also looked at the church in Pergamum. It was a compromising church. It's an interesting story there in the same city where there was a, a synagogue, there was, a, there was enemies, there was a, a place where Satan and his forces had set up camp against the church, and they had become compromising in that presence. In Thyatira, we found that that was a corrupt church, that they had exalted a self-proclaimed prophetess who was teaching false truths. And then we saw in uh, the church in Sardis that was a crippled church that looked good on the outside and had a good reputation, but Jesus saw them as they really were, dying and almost dead. Last week, we looked at the church in a very common uh, a name that we would recognize, a church in a city called Philadelphia. And the interesting thing about that church was that Jesus had no negative words to speak to them. It was a small church and had only a little strength. One thing we learned about the church in Philadelphia is that it was committed. It was strong, even though it was small. And we gained some encouragement that uh, you don't have to be a mega church to make a difference in a city, in a community, or in a family. Tonight, we're going to look at the last of the seven churches that Jesus wrote to in Revelation chapter 3. And I, I just want to issue a warning as we begin tonight. Buckle up. Because the message that Jesus had for this church in Laodicea, it's pretty close to home here in 2019. In uh, the Western society and here, especially in the United States of America. And the word that I want you to remember about the Laodicean church is the word complacent. The complacent church. And so I want to read this letter to you. It's in Revelation 3, verse 14. And uh, I'm going to read it in two separate translations, so bear with me for a few moments. First, I'm going to read it in the New King James Version, which is a word-by-word -word translation. And then I'm going to read it in a different translation that's more of a uh, paraphrase, thought-by-thought uh, -thought translation. And you'll see why I'm going to do that. So, uh, Revelation 3, verse 14, follow along with me tonight. It says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and you are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke, and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. Now let me read that uh, that that paragraph, that letter, one more time. And this is a more modern, up-to-date, paraphrased translation from the original Greek language. Listen carefully. I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. Listen, can I just add here? You don't want to hear this from Jesus. He goes on. You brag, saying, I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious that in the fact you are a pitiful, blind beggar, bare and homeless. Here's what I want you to do. Buy gold from me. Gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me, clothes designed in heaven. You've gone around half naked long enough. Buy medicine for your eyes from me so that you can see and you can really see. He says, the people I love, I call them to account. I prod and correct and guide them so that they will live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God. Look at me, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me call and open that door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table, just as I, having conquered, took the place of honor at sight of my father. That's my gift to the conquerors. Final question, are your ears awake? Listen, listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I pray, God, that we would find ourselves in these words. God, that these would be more than just dusty pages from an old book, but that this message would penetrate the soul of every person here today, including me. I'm praying, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred once again to shake off the the stale rustiness of complacency. And God, that once again, we would seek to purchase that gold that has been refined with fire. And we thank you tonight for all you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people would say, Amen. Amen. So this is uh, Laodicea, the complacent church. And as you know, as we've looked at uh, these seven churches, you know that there is a, a route that goes across all of them as if you were a letter carrier. And you are delivering mail to these various cities. I don't know if we can put that map up or not, but uh, we had a map that showed the places of all these cities. And uh, this is the last one on the route. It's basically a large circle that ends up in the southern part of what is today Turkey. This area uh, where the city of Laodicea was located is in a valley. And it's at the end of a long route. And John, the Apostle John writes this letter uh, for, the, the, for the kingdom of God and for Jesus. And each one of these letters has been, oh, thank you. So Laodicea down there at the bottom, basically this route started in Ephesus and has gone in a large circle and ended up here now in the city of Laodicea. In each of the seven churches, Jesus gives a different, distinct message. For example, to the church in Ephesus, he said, I know your works. To the church in Smyrna, he said, I know what you're worried about. To the church in Pergamos, he says, I know where you live. To the church in Thyatira, he says, I know that woman who's in your midst teaching lies. 
to the church in Sardis, I know your difficulties, your withering. In Philadelphia, I know your weakness. But isn't it interesting what Jesus, how he represents, how he identifies himself to the church in Laodicea? What did he say to them? He said, I know, I know that you are neither cold nor hot. They thought that they were so spiritual. They thought that they had had, uh, everything going for them. But Jesus saw them as destitute. He saw them as poor, miserable, and naked. And I believe today that that describes many churches and many Christians. That describes many people who name the name of Jesus, who go to church or go to Mass on a Sunday morning and say, hey, I got it all together. Look at me, riding high on life. Oh, the economy's booming. My bank account's doing well. The bottom line is good. Look at the children. They're all getting good grades. But what about our spiritual condition? How does Jesus see you? See, the thing is that there's many Christians who are like rivers. You know what a river does, right? The reason that rivers, if you look at a river on a map, it's usually all over the place. It's snakes back and forth and up and down and all over the place. And that's because the natural tendency of a river is to take the easy route around any obstacle. So if there's a river running down and finds a mountain in the way, a river does what's easy. It says, I'm not going to go over the mountain. Are you kidding? I'm going to go around the mountain. And that's why rivers are crooked. That's why rivers have no boundaries, have no limits. They will just go where they want to go. Oh, how easy it is for us to find a parallel in 2019 for our lives. If we find something difficult, how often is it easier for us to just go around? If we run up against a commandment to be obedient to God or to his word, and that's hard for us. Ah, we say later for that. I'm just going to go around. If we find ourselves uh, needing a little extra money about April 15th, we just change a few little numbers on there, and, uh, and we can get who knows how much extra from the federal government. Hey, they're in debt anyway. They don't need the money. And we lose our standards. We become crooked because we do like a river does. We are lazy. And instead of confronting difficult things, we just go around. How many Christians, it's easier to sit through a four-hour ball game than it is to sit through a 45-minute church service? Why is that? Why is it easier for us, uh, and, and it's more exciting for us, to cheer about some big sweaty people who are trying to put a ball in some place And we cheer and we shout and we say, yeah, go team! Meanwhile, we come to church and we yawn. I'm so excited to live for Jesus. Why is that? It's because we have the same disease that Laodicea had. We have become lukewarm. I have a bottle of water up here. Now, this morning... This bottle of water was brought to me directly from our very cold refrigerator. And every time I took a drink of it in our morning service today, 
it brought great delight to the rest of me. But now, after it's been sitting here for a few hours, can I tell you something? Kind of smells funny. It's lukewarm. I would much rather have a cup of hot coffee or some hot tea or a nice, cool, refreshing bottle. But because it's become lukewarm, now I'm just going to let it sit there for the rest of the service. See, this is, describes so many of Christians today. Could it be that it describes your life? Far too many Christians, they tell themselves, I think I'm okay. I think I'm on track and never realize how sick they really are. Listen to what Jesus said again. He says, uh, he, he says that you say, this is what they're thinking of themselves, I am rich. I've become wealthy. I have need. I have, I have no need of nothing. Oh, no, I have need of nothing. And, I, and you do not know, Jesus said, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So that's the reality, but they're telling themselves a lie. Again, from the message translation, you brag about how rich you are. You've got it made. You don't need anything from anyone. You are oblivious to the fact that you are pitiful, blind, beggar, bare, and homeless. How many times have you heard of, a, uh, of somebody who goes to the doctor feeling fine just for a regular old checkup? And when they come out of that office, they find the truth. They've been contracted some horrible disease or some cancer of some form, and their life is about to change. Have you heard that story before? You go in thinking everything's fine, no problems, riding high on the hog, man. But the doctor has to speak some truth. We've done blood work. And I'm sorry to inform you. Some bad report. As a pastor, so often I want to bring a good story to you people. I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, I want to build you up. I want to show you the love and the mercy and the grace that God has for you. But oftentimes the truth is that we don't need the love and the grace and the truth and the mercy. But we need the correction. Sometimes we need a good slap upside the head from the Holy Spirit. Because we are telling ourselves one thing. The reality is something very different. Jesus said, these are the words of the Amen. Did you see that in verse 14? These things says the Amen. You know when we use the word Amen? It's at the end of our prayer, right? We say, in Jesus' name, Amen. And what do we mean when we say Amen? We mean, Lord, let it be. Lord, make it happen. Make it so. Engage. Jesus, in this scripture, it's interesting that he personifies this word. He says, I am the amen. Did you see in, the, in, in my Bible, the word amen right there in that verse has a capital A. Jesus identifies himself as I am the amen. I am the one who activates the prayers of God's people. I am the one who says, let it be. I am the one who says, make it so. Jesus is the one who sees through our lies our deceptions, 
He sees through our concocted stories. In the book of James, we get a picture of the Word of God. How many tonight are thankful for the Word of God, the Bible? In the book of James, it tells us that the Word of God is like a mirror. Now, I can almost guarantee that before you came to the church tonight, I can almost guarantee every person here, you at least took a brief glance at a mirror. I hope you did. Uh, I think maybe some of you didn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and the reason why you use a mirror before you go into public, why do we use mirrors? Because we want to know the truth of how we appear, right? And there are some people who spend hours and hours in front of a mirror just making sure that not one hair is misaligned because we are concerned about how we appear to other people. Am I still preaching? I haven't lost anybody yet, have I? The reason that we need to use a mirror is because if you don't have a mirror, you might have half of your head hanging the wrong way, and you wouldn't know. Or you might have a pimple hanging out, or you might have some broccoli in between your teeth. You know what I'm saying? You don't know until you look in the mirror. James tells us that this book is our spiritual mirror. That when we look into it, all of the lies that we tell ourselves can be cast away and we can figure out who we really are. Right? And that's why a lot of people don't like to come to church. That's why a lot of people don't want to, don't tell me about who I really am. I'm happy with all the broccoli in my teeth. Just let me live the way I want to live. Don't let me look in the mirror. Because if I look in the mirror, I might not be happy with what I find. This is exactly what happens in our scripture. There's a whole church full of people here who are telling themselves, yeah, everything's good. We're rich. We've got it together. We're successful. We've got a good church in a good city. The problem is that that was not true. Jesus had to show them who they really were. I believe that tonight Jesus wants to show some of us. He wants to hold up a spiritual mirror in front of your face so that you can take a deep, long look at the true reality of your relationship with God, your spiritual life. I am not called to be the Holy Spirit. I'm not called to go around inspecting people's lives. I don't want to do that. I have enough trouble keeping my own heart right with, with Jesus. But my call for you this evening is to allow the Word of God to shine back into your face and to be honest tonight about the true condition of your spiritual life. Some history, some a little bit more history about the city of Laodicea. It was founded a couple hundred years before Jesus was around. They, there was a place, it was a crossroad of two major trade routes. And under the Roman times, this city flourished and became a financial center, kind of like Wall Street of the day. They had a major banking center. They had a gold exchange, just like Swiss banks do today. They also had a very strong garment industry. And uh, those people who have studied this city have discovered that they, they were focused on a 
certain kind of garment, black woolen garments. And there's a reason that it was specifically black in color. The problem with Laodicea is that this city did not have a good supply of water. The only water that they could find or they could pull out of the ground was warm and brackish. Do you know what that means? It means it was full of minerals, so it was not really good for drinking. And so instead of drinking the water that was there in the ground, they actually had an aqueduct that would transfer water uh, from a couple of different places. But because this was such a a strong city, financial, uh, there was industry there, uh, there was also a medical industry, which interestingly uh, uh, reveals to us that they produced some powder that would help people with eye problems. People who wanted to improve their vision. And so between the three of these, a medical establishment, a fashion industry, and a financial industry, these people were rolling in money compared to other cities around them. In fact, so much so that uh, this area was prone to earthquakes and still is to this day. And there there was an earthquake in the year 60 A.D., when Laodicea was basically destroyed. The Roman Empire offered to come in and give them money so that they could rebuild their city. But you know something very interesting? They said, we don't want money from Rome. We can do it ourselves. They were rich enough that they were able to rebuild their city without any help from the Roman government. And so because of this, Laodicea was proud. They were self-sufficient. And this attitude had obviously crept into the church of Jesus Christ. They said, we don't need help from anybody. Not even you, God, because we've got it all together. They had everything they needed spiritually. All we need is to just come together every once in a while and hear a few messages that make us feel good. Are we getting any uh, idea of who that might be here in 2019? Is it possible that we, living in the best time that history has ever given to any human being, you have it better today than kings and queens did 100 years ago? Are you hearing me? Every person. There's no such thing as a poor person in America. In America, we are blessed beyond our wildest imaginations. You don't even need to pray for clean water. You can turn on the tap and it comes right out. Wow, drink it. And it's good for you. You know you know something interesting? Uh, my wife took our daughter to the doctor a few weeks ago. And, uh, and we were talking about their, their, their mouth and their teeth health. And something interesting that the doctor said, she said, make sure that your kids drink some tap water. I was like, what? She said, yeah. Yeah, uh, because the tap water actually has fluoride in it to help the children's teeth. Have you ever heard a doctor prescribe drinking tap water? I couldn't believe I heard that. And the, the, the water, and, and, and what, what do we, we pay, uh, what, 70 bucks a month so that you can turn on that, that lever and out it comes, this life-giving, it's cool, it's refreshing, and it even helps with your children's teeth. Unbelievable. We have it so easy. We have it so good. So much so that we think that we are the reasons why we have it so good. 
And sometimes, because we have it so good, we don't talk to God. The reality of our spiritual life is we've got everything good on the outside, but on the inside. Jesus looked at the Pharisees one day and he says, you know what you guys remind me of? He said, you remind me of a cemetery. That's interesting. What is it about a cemetery that reminded these people about to Jesus? And he said, well, it's like this. You look like whitewashed tombstones on the outside. Everything beautiful. You ever been to a cemetery? All the grass is cut short. All the tombs are clean. There's no weeds popping out of the ground. They keep it. They, it's very nice. But guess what? Dig under the surface and you'll know what you find? Dead. I believe that that describes so much of Christianity in our culture. Everything looks good. Big, huge churches. Nice, comfy chairs. But dig just a little bit under the surface. You know what you find? Pornography. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Strife and anger. Marriages that are struggling. Children who are being abused. And Oh, we've got it all together. Everything's good. Look at us. I'm even wearing a tie. But our spiritual life. That's what Jesus is really concerned with. Are you still with me tonight? What did Jesus say to the church that thought they had it all together? Verse 17, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. How would you like to hear that report from Jesus? The problem was that they didn't even know that they needed God. Do you know that tonight? Do you know how desperately you need God? Do you know that if for a moment God took his hand off of your life, that your throat would close like Darth Vader? <laughs> that every breath that you take is a gift from the Almighty? Every morning that you wake up is a gift from God? You couldn't do it without him? You realize how much you need him? To keep your heart pumping in the middle of the night when you're not thinking about it? To keep your lungs inflating and the oxygen pumping through your body? Who did that? Did you do that? We need God. Just to stay alive. And how much more do we need Him to keep our hearts right with Him? Church in Laodicea said, yeah, we got it all together. He said, no, you don't. See, these were not bad people. They weren't, uh, they weren't like some other places in, in, uh, in this area. They weren't uh, you know, worshiping idols. They weren't out with temple prostitutes. They weren't drunks and gluttons. You know, they were nice, well-mannered people. Like uh, middle America. They had been lulled into a false sense of security. Uh, too bad that doesn't happen anymore in our generation. Can I tell you that Satan, the enemy of our soul, Satan does not need to convince you to go back out, back to your party life. He doesn't need to get you hooked on cocaine or, or marijuana or heroin again. You know what? The only thing that Satan needs to do is this. Make you comfortable. Put enough money in your bank account 
that you say, hey, I got it pretty good, and I don't need Jesus anymore. And he won. Because all of a sudden, we stop crying out to God. We stop seeking him. We stop praying. We stop reading our Bible. Why is that? The truth is that this church that thought they had it all together truly had nothing. So here's what's interesting. Remember I told you that the city of Laodicea, they had no real good fresh source of water for themselves. And so they had constructed some aqueducts, which was common in the day. They actually had a city that was about seven miles north, which was called Hierapolis. And in the city of Hierapolis, they had some wonderful hot springs. You know what those are, right? It's a place where uh, there was some, uh, some geothermal pressure that was pushing water up to the surface. And so from the hot, uh, uh, from those geothermal places, there was these hot springs that would bubble out of the ground, and they were able to tap that resource and aqueduct warm water down into the city. That was nice. So on a day before hot water heaters, they could have warm baths on a cold day. And then uh, to the east of Laodicea was another city called Coloss. Same city like the Bible book of Colossians. And that was a mountainous city. There was a mountain right next door. And from that mountain, they were able to, to harvest some of the cold water that was coming down off the mountain and they had a second aqueduct that would come into the city from the east. And so here are the, this city that had a source of hot water and a source of cold water. And the people enjoyed the ability to go and collect warm water and cold water. On a hot day, they could go refresh themselves. They could drink. It was clean. It was purified. And this is what makes it so interesting when Jesus speaks about, I wish that you were either cold or hot, but verse 16, because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. See, both of these water sources brought in water from other places. The water that was in Laodicea was so full of minerals, and so full of uh, brackish, like a black color water, that if you drink it, you know what would happen? It would make you sick. And Jesus is using this illustration to tell them about themselves. He says, you remember, you have hot water coming in, and you have cold water coming in. That would be nice if you had hot water or cold water. But because the water that that you represent is this nasty. You take a drink of it and you feel sick the rest of the day. He said, that's what it's like. Your faith to me. I would rather you have the hot, burning passion of living for God or I would rather that you just completely forget about me than what you actually have. You are a lukewarm church that makes me sick to my stomach. So what about you? I don't think uh, that there's anybody here tonight that would say, I'm just cold toward the Lord. I just, I'm not interested in God. I'm not, I don't want to read the Bible. I, I'm not interested in the things of God. I don't want to pray. I, I think there's very few people like that in our culture. 
But can we honestly say that I am hot, I am on fire, I am passionate for the things of God? Because those, those are the choices here. We are the, either hot on fire for God or we are to- totally cold and turned off to God. And if we find ourselves somewhere in between, we run the risk of being a lukewarm church and a lukewarm Christian that makes Jesus want to vomit. Because I don't want anything to do with that. I'd rather hike up the mountain to get the cold water. Or I'd rather go to the hot springs to find so I can enjoy. A few years ago, we went down to... uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, we have a, a yearly event that we do there, uh, our, our church, and we stayed with, uh, with my wife's cousin, and um, they're, they're good old rednecks, man, they are some good people, uh, but they, they own their own land, and, uh, and they have like a little uh, a, a trailer, you know, one of those houses that they put together, and one of the things about living on your own land and having a trailer like that is, uh, is that they, they operated, their whole house was on well water. Let me tell you about this. Taking a shower in that little RV, in that little trailer, was like taking a shower with a fish. It was so full of sulfur that, uh, man, you got in there and immediately splashing your face and it smelled like, you know, a dead fish had been rotting in the well for eight weeks. You know, it... I'm sure if you had done a, a chemical test of the, of the water, it would have been clean enough. But man, did it stink. It's full of sulfur. It smelled like somebody had lit a match, you know? Like that sulfuric smell, like the pit of hell. You know what I'm talking about? And here we are trying to clean ourselves in water that stunk to high heaven. We come out stinking, man. Had to cover ourselves in perfume and cologne. that's what Jesus is talking about. The lukewarm, tepid, uninterested, complacent spirituality. Does that describe your faith today? Remember that this was also, as we close, this was also a uh, financial center. That there was a gold uh, transfer happening in this city. And it's interesting, the the advice that Jesus gives to this church. Look in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold which has been refined in the fire that you may be rich. So there is some good news here. Jesus is not done with these people. He's not ready to rain fire and brimstone on them and destroy them for all time. He says, I still have hope for you. And the course of action, the correction that I bring into your your church is this. I want you to buy from me gold that has been refined. What does that mean tonight? You know, there is a certain uh, sacrifice that it takes to really live for God. If you've ever come across someone, or maybe you can think of a time in your own life when you were really passionate and on fire for God, a time which you uh, people, uh, man, you couldn't stop talking about the Lord. You couldn't, uh, man. You said, Pastor, please, can we have another church service this week? Because I just want to hear from God. 
if, if you can remember a time like that in your life, I want you to think about, were you willing to make sacrifices for God? Were you willing to pay a price to purchase something from the Lord? Because oftentimes what happens is with time and with mediocrity, we begin to not be willing to sacrifice anymore. We're not willing to buy the gold that Jesus is selling. We'll buy the gold from the world. We'll buy the things that the world has to offer. But Jesus' counsel to this church is to pay a price again. I want you to hear that tonight as we close. The the cure to a lukewarm church is this. Pay a price. See, this is why the persecuted church, churches like in China, churches in places like North Korea, you know, you have to pay a price to be a Christian in those places. Early on in the book of Acts, you know, to call yourself a Christian, to be baptized in water, it was like putting a target on your forehead. All of a sudden, everybody's against you. We were in Turkey one time, and the the missionary who was there told us that when somebody is baptized as a Christian in the nation of Turkey, all of a sudden, every employer, you can't find a job anymore. Oh, I heard you got baptized down at that Christian church. We're not going to hire you. And by the way, we're not going to hire your father or your mother or your brothers or your sisters because you made a decision to follow Jesus. How many know that's costly? You pay a price. The problem with American Christianity is that we don't have to pay a price. You notice that? Somebody can come to church. Somebody can even pray a prayer. And why is it that it takes weeks or months for them to say, I want to be baptized? In the Bible, it's like, oh, I'm saved. I want to be baptized right now. There's a puddle. Let's do this. But why is it nobody wants to be baptized? Because baptism means you have to pay a price. It means you're serious about your faith, isn't it? The second counsel that Jesus gives to them is this, as we close. He says, I counsel you to buy buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed. Remember that in this city there was a garment industry, and that they only sold black clothing. That was in fashion there. And the reason was, because if you had a white garment, and it got dirty and you would try to wash it in that nasty water that they had there in the city, it would never go back to its original white color. And so rather than trying to clean their clothing and make it white again, they just said, forget about it, we're going to use black clothing instead. And that became fashionable. So the industry was, was, uh, was, was filled with only black clothing because that... They would take that nasty water and wash the black clothing and you wouldn't notice that it's just, it's still dirty. So Jesus, his advice to them was this. Buy from me white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. I want to tell you that Jesus will clothe us in purity, in righteousness. He will clothe us and he will cleanse us. So many times I've heard people who get saved, 
who truly get saved. And you know what they say? After they pray a prayer, they say, wow, I feel like there's a weight, there's a burden that's been taken off my shoulders. Do you remember what that felt like? When the sins of your life had been forgiven and all of a sudden it feels like you're breathing new air. You feel clean. You feel pure. That's what the blood of Jesus can do. Finally, remember that there was a medical industry in this city. Jesus knew that. He said, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He said, you guys have gotten rich off of all of these industries. The gold, the garments, and the eye salve. But now his counsel is to buy that gold from him, pay a price. To be clothed in the white garments of purity and finally to anoint our eyes with spiritual eye salve so that we can see clearly. What does that mean? That means to be able to see ourselves who we really are and not believe the lies that we tell about ourselves. My call tonight is this. Pick up the mirror and take an honest look at yourself. That's not my job to do for you. It's your job. And to be honest, to ask yourself this question, how does God see me? Does God see a heart that truly cares about Him? Does God see someone who is honest and sincerely trying to follow the truth? Or does God find a lukewarm person who's complacent, apathetic, just trying to get to the next day, just sees himself as okay, I'm all right, no big deal. My call tonight is to open your eyes. Be willing, once again, to pay a price for the things of God. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Let's bow our heads for just a moment tonight as we bring this service to a close. And I do so appreciate your attention this evening. I want to ask you quickly to, to focus your attention on what the Spirit of God is speaking to you. The church in Laodicea had a lot of problems. But I want to tell you that there is hope for them. Jesus had a path to forgiveness. And as he began to tell them what they needed to do, he says these words in verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And tonight as we've come into this place, we have to realize about Jesus that he will never kick the door down. He will never force his way into your life. He will never twist your arm and say, You will obey me. He won't do that. He is a merciful and a gracious God. And what Jesus does, and tonight what he's doing, is he's standing at the door of your heart. And he's knocking. Will you let me in? Will you open the door? Will you respond to what Christ has done for you? As I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and I will dine with him. This is a picture 
of the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. What Laodicea had was religion. They had their two services a week. They had their weekly routine that they did. They had all of their religious deeds that they performed. But what they did not have was a relationship with Jesus. And I have found that there's many people in the same way. You do religious things. You go to church. You say a prayer or two. You read a Bible scripture. You post some spiritual thing on Facebook. And think that all of those religious things, it means that you have a relationship with Jesus. But that's not automatically true tonight. Could it be that you've become religious, but Jesus is not a part of your everyday life? Could it be that you go to church on Sunday and then forget all about him on Monday? Could it be that Jesus is still knocking on the door of your heart, waiting simply for you to open up to him and invite him in? That is the hope of the gospel, that no matter how much sin, no matter how much drama, no matter how much uh, 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 wickedness and rebellion you have in your life, the hope is that Jesus still knocks on the door of your heart. He still waits for you to open to Him. Jesus, the same one who died on the cross and shed His blood for you, the same one who rose from the dead, declaring victory over sin and death for you. That same one, He still knocks. My question is this, have you invited him in? Say, Lord, I don't, I don't deserve it, but I want you to come to my life. And I wonder tonight if, if you want to do that, if you want to answer that knock, I'd ask you to do one simple thing quickly tonight. You lift up your hand so I can pray with you. You'd be brave enough to say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think I'm really living for God. I think I'm one of those cold people. I just, I'm not spiritual. I don't think about the things of God, but I know that Jesus is knocking tonight. Would you open that door? Is that you? Quickly, you slip up your hand so I can pray with you. Maybe like the church in Laodicea, you've become lukewarm in your faith. It's not that you're cold and totally turned off to the things of God. Very few people are. But it's also not that you are on fire and passionate about the things of God. You find yourself more in love with things of the world things that interest your flesh than the things of God. Maybe you've become lukewarm in this place. And to them, Jesus is knocking at the door of their heart. Will you open up the door to Him? Unsaved or backslidden, I want to pray with you tonight. Would you lift up your hand so I can see it? Is there anyone here? Quickly, tonight, as God deals with our hearts. Then let me change this call. We're going to open up this altar for prayer. And in just a moment, I want to ask you to be honest. One of the hardest things for any human being to do is to be brutally honest with themselves. The easiest person in this life to lie to is yourself. The church in Laodicea was lying to themselves. We got it all together. Everything's cool. We've got enough money and enough to spare. All is well says, no, 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 no. You're poor, wretched, blind, and naked. 
miserable. How many church people find themselves right there? Under the surface. On the outside, looks like everything's together, but under the surface, we become lukewarm. My call today is, if you will come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm willing, once again, to buy from you the gold refining fire. I want to pay a price again. I want to make a sacrifice for you. I want to live for you. I want to be obedient to your word. Amen. Let's all stand together in this place. We want to open up this altar for prayer. If the Lord is speaking to you, would you come? Would you come to this altar tonight? Would you cry out to the Lord? Would you come to him this evening and say, Lord, forgive me that I've become lukewarm? I'm neither cold nor hot, and that makes you sick to your stomach. And I don't want to be that anymore. Lord, would you set me on fire tonight? Lord, would you renew my heart for your kingdom? Lord, would you do a work of power in my life? Let's take this moment to pray tonight. Let's cry out to the Lord in this place for just a few moments. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.